bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with Freeway Ministries. I want to introduce my special guest today, Kyle Grossinger. Good to have you today. Thanks for having me. One Broken Life is a ministry of Freeway Ministries, and we explore the broken lives and the unique stories of individuals um, who have come from all kinds of different backgrounds. We believe that the bigger the mess, the bigger the message many times. And you hear about the negative impact that drugs and crime make on our community, but what you don't hear about is the positive impact that one radically changed ex-drug addict or ex-criminal makes on our community when Jesus gets a hold of their life. And so it's my privilege today to have you on here with me, Brother Kyle, and uh, just to talk to you about what, what God has done and where you come from. Uh, stories are very unique, I believe, that come from our background, our people group. I was doing a study, and it's we're in the ten percent of society, and so ten percent of people who in society come from addiction and crime, and so we're in the ten percent, and uh, and so we are the marginalized. Um, and so as we explore your story, I just want to encourage our our listeners. We have some listening through Spotify and and uh, Apple Podcast, and some are on YouTube watching us today. And I want to share our theme verse for, for our podcast, which is Psalms 51:17, And it says, God will not despise the, the broken heart, the, the broken heart and the contrite spirit, that God will not despise the sacrifices of God, our broken heart and a contrite spirit. And that's, that's what, what our theme is here, is the one broken life, exploring the stories of one broken life at a time. And I like the verse as well. We share this verse a lot. It's uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. The things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And so we're going to explore your life today, Kyle. All right. You get to open up your tent, let us in, All right. let us see. And so uh, can you just, just five minutes here, uh, what was like life What was life like for you growing up? What was your childhood like? So I had a fairly normal childhood. I, I went to two schools, uh, Pershing from kindergarten to eighth grade, and then Glendale. Uh, freshman to senior year, graduated on time. I was an athlete, and my parents are still together. You know, we didn't come, I don't come out of a broken home or anything weird, nothing. Just pretty normal childhood, you know. I was pretty decent in school, had decent grades, um, you know, and, and it didn't look from the outside looking in like anything was wrong or there was brokenness or something missing in me. It looked like I had it together. And so, um, like I said, I graduated on time. Uh, it looked like I was going to go play college football. 
by the you know end of my senior year, uh, addiction was really taking over at that point. And so I didn't end up playing college football <clears throat> or or really anything for that matter. It ended up going to college until here recently. So do you think that that was sorry to interrupt you? Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. But uh, do you think that you know you mentioned addiction and stuff? Uh, in there in high school, you know, football. And so as we kind of dig through that um, today, do you feel like maybe not not going to college, maybe in that football career not going where you wanted it to go, maybe that was your identity and, and then getting hurt, right? Didn't you get hurt? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my um, uh, senior year, I, I started having concussions. And um, it, it was more prevalent, you know, later on that uh, that these concussions were an issue. But, yeah, uh, my identity was in football, you know, and, and wrestling. And so when those things fell apart, I didn't know who I was. You know, I was just a guy who, uh, who used a lot of drugs, you know, and sold a lot of drugs. And so, yeah, I had, I had no identity. In fact, I didn't really have an identity until these last couple of years. Amen. Well, there's a lot of people listening, and they have a misconception of, you know, if you know a drug addict, oh, they had a broken home, or they didn't, they dropped out of school, or, you know, they're just they it's it's because they didn't have, you know, they had a single parent home, and, you know, those things do have a higher statistic, statistic wise, a higher chance of, you know, not having the father in the house and stuff like that, becoming someone who uses drugs and goes to prison and stuff. But not you, right? And so uh, it doesn't always, not always the case. Um, I tell people all the time, drug addiction doesn't care what color you are, how much money your parents make for a living, you know, what neighborhood you grow up in, how educated or not educated you are. You know, it affects every everybody. Yeah. And so uh, when did your drug use start? You talk about, you know, your high school using. So can you just give us kind of an idea of, let let play that out for us yeah so uh age of 12 the the first thing was nicotine you know i started using cigarettes um do so you think nicotine's a drug i do good yeah Me i do too. um and i i i sometimes think it's the gateway drug because it's typically used before marijuana or from what i've seen and the people i was around that was our first step so uh cigarettes and then began using marijuana, and then that led to over-the-counter cough syrup, you know, uh, drinking it in high doses, and then over-the-counter pills, you know, like Corsedrin and things like that, not to uh, to influence anyone to do these things, but this, this is what happened, and then I moved on to hallucinogenics, and then, you know, by the age of 16, I had intravenously used morphine and cocaine and um, was selling, you know, to cover my addiction and, and profiting at that point, you know. Um, and yeah, there's my, my cocaine addiction really spun out of control around the age of 17. Um, so around my senior year, I was intravenously using it, um, just hanging on to school by a thread. I had moved out of my parents' house and moved into a house over on the opposite side of town, um, living with a bunch of other, uh, people in addiction. And so, uh, yeah, then there wasn't really anything I didn't use or steered away from, you know, if it was on the table, I used it. So, um, like you said, it, it wasn't that I came out of a broken home. There's 
I, I believe it's genetic. I come from a family of alcoholics, you know, and so I believe that addiction gene is in us. I also believe that um, that is a inequity that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. So that's, you know, a generational curse that we have now is that uh, addiction is, is in my family. Okay. I would not agree with the genetic addiction gene personally, but we don't have to agree on that, right? Yeah, I mean. I, 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 would, I would just say for me, uh, you know, I've seen people come from homes of, I mean, horrible situations like Kenny Hale. He's not in here right now. He's actually in the – he's counting money for us right now. As a matter of fact, he's he's counting the offering from last Saturday. But his his sister and his brother were very bad drug addicts, and he never used a drug in his life. And and so that's just me speaking personally. But, but I believe that influence is there, and I also believe that, you know – you were probably raised, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Seeing the drinking and seeing the was was your parent? Did your parents? Did your dad drink, or your mom drink around you? Um, to some extent, yeah. It wasn't an every night thing, but yeah, that that was something that was used, and there was occasional marijuana use too. Okay. So I, I saw that, and um, that opened the door for me to think that you know it was okay for me to use. So you're you're a young man. You know, you're smoking, taking whatever can get you high, basically, and then you get down to where you're using IV, using drugs. Um, and so how long right now as we talk in this room? First of all, let me ask you this question. So from a young man, middle school age, I guess, yep. until when did you continuously use drugs? Till I was 36. Okay. And so how long have you been clean and sober right now? Uh, October 29th was two years clean for awesome. me. Awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank you. That's that's amazing. So why don't you tell us, so you're sober, you're clean, you've been clean two years. So since before you were an adult, you were you used drugs and never stopped. Correct. Um, can you share with us, so the, the podcast is One Broken Life, right? <laughs> and so until you hit rock bottom, you can't get help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I believe rock bottom is not a place. Rock bottom is a state of mind. And so rock bottom is that place wherever, that state of mind, whenever you come to the realization that, like the prodigal son in Luke 15, it said, he said, I will get up out of this mess. I will go back to my father and I will say, forgive me, you know, make me like one of your hired servants. I'm, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he got himself out of that pen. He walked back to his dad and he apologized. You know, he repented. And, and he came to the rock bottom place in his life and so uh, and he was broken so that's kind of the idea of this podcast is exploring these broken lives right yeah your life was a broken life my life is a broken life and uh and so what brought you to your place of brokenness so um in the last three years of addiction from 20 um let me think about this here let me get this right 2017 to 2019, I started battling homelessness. I didn't get arrested my first time until 2017. Um, so I was able to avoid a lot of legal troubles. 2017, I got my uh, first arrest, first charges. 2018, I had my probation revoked. And so 2019, it, it was finally like unraveled. I knew I'd been done for a while. I wanted help. Um, and so I ended up at, uh, I believe it's Second Baptist over on Lone Pine and Battlefield. Uh, praying and I did I was an atheist I didn't believe in God 
I don't, I couldn't tell you why I was praying other than there was already some sort of change taking place in me. I, I would say a heart change was, was being imputed in me and I was just too high and drunk to realize what was going on. But, uh, did I, you drive there? No, I was on a bicycle. So you, you pedaled there. Yeah. I'd been on a bicycle almost 24 hours freezing off and on trying to find, uh, this toxic mess I was in at the time. And I thought she had overdosed and died and said a prayer uh, to literally every deity I knew to pronounce and said that, uh, help me find her and then break us up. And about an hour later, I found her. And so fast forward, and I, I can't give you an exact day or time, but fast forward a couple of days or a week. And um, I'm going to be brief on this part because, you know, we got the case rolling on this. But uh, I'm at a, uh, a Dollar General. I get called in on a heroin overdose and um, on a well-being check. And there's no um, no proof of me being on heroin, and and this situation escalates into me being shot. Um, and so by by the police department, I'm put in jail on a half million dollar bond. A couple days from my birthday, second year in a row, my birthday, I'm going to spend in jail, and I was done. Um, I was done. I was either considering taking what little I had on my books to buy enough e-cigarettes to to eat the nicotine and die, because if you consume, or so I was told. Uh, 50 milligrams of nicotine you can overdose on it or trying to hang myself off the balcony and uh and b-pod and i stayed up uh april 22nd which is the day before my birthday I wrote goodbye letters to my son and my family and april 23rd i'd been up all night and i just get randomly called out to court and i couldn't tell you why i ended up having a probation violation on a uh, misdemeanor stealing as i enter back to b-pod for those of you know the pod you come in and you get you get searched. He's talking about jail. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm in Green County Jail, and so you come back, you go to court, you leave the pod, you come back in the pod, and they 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 pat you down, and as they pat me down, they said, "There's someone here to see you." Uh, there was a deacon there, and he sat me down, and he he gave me my first Bible I ever read. He prayed with me. He wished me happy birthday, and at that day, I decided that I, I wasn't going to kill myself. I started reading that Bible. And it wasn't that day, but a couple of days later, they farmed out my cellmate and I was in a cell by myself, broken, crying. Um, and I, I, I literally said, I can't do this anymore. It's yours. It's your life. You do with, you do with it what you want, but I can't do this. I can't feel like this anymore. And uh, I got baptized April 27th, which a few days after my birthday. And In jail? Yep. Did the deacon baptize you? It was a different one. How did the deacon come to visit you? What the, how did that happen? So somebody had put in a request for a Bible for me, and I had forgotten about it. I'd sat down after a Al-Anon meeting and talked to a guy when we got back in the pod, and he put in a request, and it just happened to be that I got that request filled on my birthday. So best birthday gift I've gotten ever. And, um, yeah, that that was my place of brokenness. And, and to be clear, that didn't like stop. That wasn't like I gave my life over or, or Christ came in my heart and everything got better. I still had charges pending. I still had a half million dollar bond. Um, it looked like I was going to go sit down to do 15 years at that time. But it, there was a change in me. You know, honesty started coming out, uh, especially when talking to my parents because I, I didn't want to leave the relationship I was in. But I wasn't going to manipulate them to bond me out and go run back with her. I was just honest with them. So, And we teach that relationships are the number one cause for relapse. They are. And so that's 
one of the big deals there. You did something very wise by not running back to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where God comes in because every other time I'd been in and out, I ran right back to the same thing. This is, this is where you can see a heart change. This is where you can see the Holy spirit actually in effect is that I didn't go back. I, uh, and I've told you this, John, before I'd been handed freeways application in there when Adam handed it to me and I handed it right back and said, I'd never do this program. And, and then uh, a couple months later, someone gave me your book and, and once again, kind of a heart change, you know, <clears throat> God had been working on me. I decided to break up with her um, and then surrender to a 12 month program and go into one with no relationships. And awesome. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so you say you surrender to a program. So you put your application into the discipleship house, the freeway ministries, discipleship house, and you got accepted. Yeah. So, uh, I'd been, and this is a long story, but I'd been to a few bond reductions and having a half million dollar bond in open court, there was just no way to get me out. Um, but I had sent an email or I sent a postcard to Casey and I hadn't heard anything. And my dad just continuously called him and did an application on a Sunday night over the phone with me. Casey came and saw me on Tuesday, Wednesday, we had acceptance letters. Thursday, I went to preliminary and preliminary didn't go real good. Um, and, and just my case didn't look good. And I remember my, my public defender looked over at me at the end. He said, do you still want to ask for a bond reduction? I laughed at him. I said, why? After how this went. And he asked and the judge went off on me about how it took 36 officers to apprehend me, how they shut down 12 public buildings and by God's grace, and I have no explanation for this. You've, you've been locked up before and had bonds. My bond went from half a million to 5,000. And so uh, I got accepted. It took another 21 days to get stipulations to meet to get me in the program because they wanted me on house arrest. And there was a lot of different little paperwork that had to be done. But yeah, October 29th, 2019, I was dropped here at the front door for class. We had steak. I'm, that's that first meal out. Amen. Remember how important that is. Yeah. I always tell people, especially my pastor friends who are listening, if you really want to experience something awesome, pick somebody up from prison or jail, and take them for a big greasy cheeseburger and some French fries and a chocolate shake. Yeah. And just watch them eat. I mean, you don't even have to have a meal. I mean, just watch them enjoy that burger and them French fries, man. They'll never forget you. Oh, that first meal out's the most important meal. You don't forget it either. And so, Kyle, uh, you, and I know that, and when Kyle mentioned earlier, he said there's a case pending. He's actually uh, got a, a case, a court case from a charge uh, prior to him, you know, being a Christian, for you being a Christian. And, um, and so... You were shot. I don't I know. Mean, we can't really go into this, but you were shot uh, by the police. And, uh And you actually, how many times they shoot you? Twice. Two out of three hit me. Yeah. And, and so you were shot uh, and you actually, did you, did they say you died? So, yeah, when I was in, when I came out of the operating room and it was, they, they, they leave a police officer in the room with you. And then they change shifts about every, I'd say 12 or eight hours. I'm not real sure. But when. The first one and the second one changed. The second one came in and handcuffed me, put handcuffing to the bed because I hadn't been. And uh, the first one pulled him out in the hallway and he said, you don't need to do any of that. You know, he, he can't barely move. He's in real bad condition. And he's like, uh, he's not even talking. And the second officer said, good, I don't want to talk to him. 
And he pulled him a little deeper in the hallway, and he said, I was in the operating room. He died twice. And the other officer said, I wish he would have died, which are fair emotions to have at the time. But, yeah, from my understanding, um, yeah, I was paddled back on that table. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and not too long ago, the, the bullet came out. Yeah, just a couple months ago. So one of the bullets was left in me and my uh, front right abdomen. And uh, it finally got to the place where I could kind of work it out, and I, I got it out of me finally. So, you know, here you are, Kyle, today in the office. Um, you know, in, you're interning with Freeway right now, called into ministry, preaching the gospel. You know, we've kind of talked about some some pretty dark moments. Um, you know, you're, you, you've been hit with a bullet, two bullets by the police department. You know, you're still facing some consequences from your past. Um, you, you sat in a jail cell your whole adult life. You couldn't stop getting high. You couldn't stop using drugs. Uh, and so here you are today. Um, what tell tell us this? Did you ever think when you were growing up you were going to be a drug addict? I mean, did you want to be? What did you want to be when you was a kid? I mean, I wanted to be an athlete. I watched the Chiefs. You know, I can't tell you probably kindergarten or first grade. I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to play ball okay. my whole life. And so you and your dad, you've got a pretty good relationship. Yeah, I'm really close with my dad. Yeah. And and I remember uh, when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Yeah. We, had a, we have a Super Bowl party at our building for our disciples, uh, men and women in our program, and anyone that really wants to come. And uh, you guys were watching the Super Bowl, hugging each other, and we got a picture of that. Yeah. Which is pretty cool picture. Yeah. Uh, what, is your parent, what do your parents think? I mean, we're going to go into, you know, your after Christ moment and uh, where you're at today and all that. But as we just kind of touch on the past, you know, what, what does your dad think right now? What's he think about all this? So, like, as of where we stand right now, he's just kind of in awe. Um, prior to coming to Christ, they were just waiting for the phone call that I had died. And, I mean, they basically got it. They got the call that I had been shot, and then I was on uh, – they couldn't locate me anywhere, so they figured I'd die. But he is – So you're shot, and they were trying to find you. Yeah, and so when you're – when you're you've got a case pending, you, they don't release any information on you. So they don't know what hospital I'm at. Uh, they just knew I'd been shot. They heard it all over the news, and so they figured, this is it. He's finally dead. Um, and now they they just talk about when we get together, you know, they don't have to worry about it. They're not waiting for that call. They don't have to worry, um, you know, when I've lost my job and stuff like that because they're like, you're, you're, um, you have a foundation. You know, you're not so unstable anymore. You're stable in your life. You can uh, make decisions. You've got counsel, and so – Dad's dad's gleaming, you know, dad's, and he even made a comment today or yesterday that um, he said, you're the only one of all the kids that's doing what he loves. You know, little sister, she's, she's got a real good job, probably makes six figures. Older sister's, you know, got a job she's had for a while she holds down. But, you know, he said, you're the one that's pursuing and doing what you love. He's like, your, your occupation is going to be something you love to do. And of the three kids, he said, that's pretty awesome. So your dad's proud of you. Yeah. How's that feel? A lot better. Yeah. The relationship's just completely changed now. Um, you know, it went from what, how, what, what's Kyle going to get into a fight about this time? Or, you know, who's Kyle going to bring over with them to uh, they're excited to see me. You know, I got to, I got to, I went from being banned from their house and cameras on their house to getting a house sit for them last week while they were out of town. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember you telling me how much you love their dogs. Oh, yeah. Their dogs are wonderful. <laughs> they're, 
They're those little dogs that you just hold out the window and squeeze when they need to go to the bathroom. Easy. That's, a, That's not true. He doesn't do that, by the way. Um, we love animals here at Free Will Yes, Ministries. we do. I don't, I've never really done that, but their dogs are quite the handful. So let me ask you a question. What, what, what toll uh, does it, did your addiction take on your family? So <clears throat> I never stole from my family. But as far as stress level and being just a, you know, pushing them to the place that it was a strain on their relationship because they just needed to cut ties with me. And, and that's hard, you know, to um, I was my dad's firstborn. So that was really hard on him to say, you got to wash your hands off him and, and just let him be. And they knew that they may, may come with death. In fact, he had just accepted that that was going to come with death. So I was a... Uh, a very big toll and strain on them for years. And just my, even before that last three years, the instability of my relationships and my jobs and my addiction was a toll on everybody. So have you, have you ever tried to get sober on your own? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think maybe 37, 47 days was the most I could ever do. Okay. And so, uh, tell us about your darkest moment. I, let me just give you kind of a an idea. We don't want to give the devil any airtime, so we don't boast in war stories. We don't really go into those details. Um, but, like, for me, one of the darkest moments, it kind of give people an idea of where I came from. I remember being homeless, <clears throat> and I remember uh, walking up and down the street where I'm from in Jeff City, Missouri, Jefferson City. If you're not from there, it's called Jefferson City. If you're from there, it's Jeff City. But um, uh, I remember my feet, couldn't feel my feet. I was hungry, nowhere to go. Coming to a, it's freezing outside, snow everywhere. Coming to a four-way stop, and it didn't matter. I remember it didn't matter if I go left. It didn't matter if I go right because I had nowhere. I had no idea where I was going to go, you know. And uh, I remember my clothes smelled so bad and my feet stunk so bad that when I could find somewhere to let me come and rest, uh, that they would make me take my shoes and socks off, put them in a trash bag, and tie it up and put the trash bag. This is in the projects, man. I mean, these this I'm not going into a, a a wealthy neighborhood here. I mean, these these folks are you know doing the same thing I'm doing. They're like, only, only way you're coming in here is if you put your clothes in a trash bag and go right to the shower, you know. And and that was my life. And so uh, I can remember those times. That's like a dark moment for me. So as you think back. You know, before you got saved, before you got sober, Kyle, what give us an idea of like one of your dark moments? There's two there, you know, two or three that are standing out. Um, one of them was right when I got out of, I did my backup in Greene County. I had uh, left money with an ex to pay for my rent in my place and. Uh, it got, you know, squandered on drugs and alcohol, and I came out and was homeless a couple of days later. And then I, uh, I, without going into details, I got my car stolen at a McDonald's on Cherry Street because I got out to get in an altercation. And uh, I was wandering the streets, and it uh, wasn't but a couple of days later, I was sleeping on the back of D. Wampler's steps. I didn't have anywhere to go. I slept in a playhouse not far from there. I've slept in a playhouse before. yeah. Yeah, and the only thing, you know, you're, you're looking for something to uh, to numb. You know, it's raining outside. You can't get into anywhere to use the restroom, and you're just 
just facilitating your addiction in any way possible. And so that was that. And I slept under a big real estate sign, you know, the, Oh, the ones that are like six feet by eight feet, the wood ones that are stand up. I, I leaned one of those over against the wall and slept under it one time too. And it was cold. There was no warmth. I was wet. That's where a good time leads you. Yeah. You know, and that's how it all starts, right? Yeah. It's just an occasional a social thing. And the next thing you know, you're sleeping in a a playhouse. You're sleeping in a toy, a uh, kid's, kid's play area somewhere uh, trying to stay warm. So did you ever think you would ever, did you ever think you'd change? Uh, at the end, no. You know, the old, uh, the old saying is like, oh, I hated look myself in the mirror. I did. I hated myself. I just wanted to die. I'll be honest with you. Like, I was so done with it. I was done with it uh, prior to all that. When I, I got divorced in 2015, the next girl I got with, I told her that I was done. You know that I hated my addiction and she didn't understand she's like you've got multiple cars and a house and a good job and you know she didn't see the addiction but I, I knew inside I was broken so you were an atheist yeah when was your exposure to the gospel in jail so uh I got a good friend Robbie who tried to get me through AA he was planting the seed uh prior to that and I just I told him I was like I, I can't bite on it he said, well, try to make AA your God, and, and that didn't work. I couldn't get past step three, you know, maybe four. Um, yeah, and, and my parents said I had been to churches. I remember going to a church, and uh, you got to play kickball. And I remember that's, that was my deal. I got to play kickball every week. But when they went into class, I didn't pay attention. and Everyone moved to the next class that was my age, and I got held back. And they weren't going to let me play kickball anymore. So I quit coming. So when did you realize there was hope for you? So after the shooting, I was in jail. And I knew at that point I had a purpose. Um, and, of course, I'm exploring different deities at this time. I didn't know, you know, what, what this is before I've got the Bible. You were Bible. just showing a Hail Mary to whoever was listening. Yeah, I, I knew there was a reason I lived. But, and I, I miss this. Just about three weeks before I got shot, I'd been in Greene County. And when I came out, I kept telling this girl I was with I wanted to be baptized. She's like, you don't, you don't believe in God. You don't. And I was like, I don't know, but I want to be baptized. So there's, there was something transpiring in this, in me before all this. But Okay. So you go to jail, and that's where you found hope. Yeah. You know, one time we had a deal. We called it Thank God for the Handcuffs. We need to do something like that again. But, uh where we wrote to the jailers and we, we, we wrote the green County sheriff sheriffs, all the sheriffs, we wrote them a letter and I actually wrote an article called thank God for the handcuffs. And, uh, it talked about how if it wasn't for the handcuffs, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, man. And I think, I thank the police officers. Um, and you can't, if you're listening, you don't see me, but I'm tattooed up and I don't look like someone who would be preaching the gospel by society standards, but I'm very grateful um, that I did go to jail and I'm very grateful for all the times that the police risked their lives to chase me and lock me up and fight me to the ground and put me in a jail cell because, you know, it was a jail. It wasn't prison that changed me, but it was the broken point in a prison cell that changed that, that where I came to saving faith in Christ. 
And, um, and so it's, it's amazing. I tell parents all the time when I talk to them on the phone or in person, they're worried about their kids, you know? Oh yeah. My son's in jail. My daughter's in jail, my grandchild. And, uh, and I'll ask them, I'll say, have you ever heard of somebody getting shot in jail? Have you ever heard somebody getting killed, breaking into someone's house in jail? No. Have you ever heard about someone in a high speed chase in jail? You know, and generally in jail, you don't catch a bunch of new charges. You don't overdose most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Uh, and so jail is not a bad place for a drug addict. No, it's a safe place. It is a great place to be. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, so you, you realize, see, in, there's hope in jail, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that cool? There's more hope in jail than there is on the streets. And so uh, where's your first place, Kyle? So, you, you know, we're going to talk about... Uh, we're about we're about done here, but uh, so you end up at Freeway Ministries. Your first night is steak night. Yep. So you come and we get, we're having dinner for our houses, and you get to eat a steak. Yeah. And uh, and so, where was the first place you served in church? Uh, <clears throat> man, we were, we would do uh, parking duty at Crossbridge. We'd have the the orange vests on and. I mean, I'll be honest, I had my earbuds in, I'd be dancing, and you know, I was just happy to be out of jail, I'm not going to lie. So that was that was the first place I served. Okay. Yeah. So you were parking cars for the Lord. Yeah, yep. What are your dreams today, man? So my goal and dream is full-time ministry. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever fear relapse? For the most part, no. I really don't. I, we talked about an injury, you and I did personally, a couple couple months back um that was the closest i think i've been and it was just the pain i was in but other than that uh i guess god has placed the structure around me the accountability that it's not something that he doesn't really let me venture off into that anymore so well it's been really cool uh to explore your bc life your before christ life and kind of where you're at today and we we've skipped through some things we haven't really gotten into details you know about your stay in the home and and how you were a problem child for us and uh, we have a whole file of disciplinary forms that, yeah. because of you but uh and now today you know you're you you know we're, we're not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna share exactly all of the things that i want to say because i want people to tune into part two yeah. but um i'm excited to share the next stage of life with you and just to to see what happens next, you know, with your life. I think it's incredible. Amen. And so thank you for tuning in uh, to One Broken Life. Very grateful to have you guys with us today. Uh, if you like the podcast, would you please share it? Uh, visit our page, One Broken Life, on Facebook. Uh, share your share our podcast and our, our YouTube videos with your friends. And uh, One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries. If you've enjoyed this and you want to be a, a partner of ours, you can go to the website at freeway-ministries.com and you can be a, a support financially and help us continue to do this ministry. Thank you for joining us, Kyle. Thank you for having me. All right, we'll Appreciate see you guys next time. Yep.